This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's Que Golazo time. I'm Luis Miguel Echegaray, and this is your weekend recap. We have Heath Pierce, Jimmy Conrad, and Christina Uncle. We're going to break down all the action as well as all the dubious decisions from an official standpoint. And of course, I have to talk about my villa today. We're coming up. Que Golazo right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Que Golazo, our first ever weekend recap we have my man jimmy conrad and for the first time in the show and definitely not the last time another former united states men's national team star a brother of the team a brother of this family and i know i'm just in an american sandwich today guys heath pierce heath welcome to the show welcome to the team my man thank you thanks for having me i'm excited to get chatting and uh, hopefully get into a little bit of an argument with jimmy today Oh, I'm sure that's definitely going to happen. And I feel I feel that I'm going to have to be super like, all right, cut it off, boys. Cut it off. It's going to have to be the dad. Right. But Jimmy, is, you- wait, 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 this is what I've heard about. What I understand about Heath is that he's a master debater. So I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what he's got. Yeah, we might well, have to create a few a uh, few rounds of this, uh, Luis, <laughs> you know, where you could just sit in the middle. It's like speed chess, you know, and you <laughs> moderate and you can cut us off when we need to. Oh, great. I, I feel really happy about doing that because I'm just, <laughs> just going to let you go at it. What a roll. <laughs> I know. Exactly. Anyway, welcome, everybody, to our weekend recap. We are going to bring to you all the analysis, all the betting tips that happened and and just give our best thoughts uh, over the course of these last two days. Obviously, a lot more action to come in this next week, but we're really just going to focus on what just happened. Let's begin from Saturday, from the very beginning, the early game in the Premier League. We'll stay with the Premier League, Everton and Liverpool. And before we analyze this one, Jimmy, uh, how was uh, how was your how was your day from a from a waging perspective? From a wagering analyst perspective, Luis, I absolutely smashed it. I had three your fingers already. I'm blowing my fingers. Oh, Me and William Hill are good friends here because I went on their site and found some good value for everybody. I thought there was going to be a draw and VAR agreed with me in this one. It was plus 290. It was awesome. Got the 2-2 result there. I said Hamas was going to get an assist. Plus 200, he got an assist. I said Dominic Calvert-Lewin would score anytime at plus 125. That happened. Feeling like an absolute champ right now, Luis. Feeling like a boss. Well, you are on a roll. Listen, when you win, we win. So I'm happy. I'm happy. All right. So I'll make sure I'll ask for that Venmo request later. All right. Let's talk about Everton Liverpool. Sadio Mane opened the scoring really early on in this one. Came one nothing. And then from that, Michael Keane equalized. And it was 1-0 all the way until the latter stages of that game when Mohamed Salah with a beautiful first time uh, attempt to make it 2-1. DCL, as you mentioned, Michael Jordan, that one. And just his aerial abilities is unbelievable tied it to 2-2 and of course we're going to talk about so many things that happened during the game but specifically at the very end Sadio Mane got called for offside I don't know what it was his eyebrow I guess and then it was 
taken back. Jordan Henderson wasn't able to get that 3-2 and it ends 2-0. There was so much in this, but let's just begin, Heath, with you. What did you see? What did you think of this game? Just your key points. Well, the money thing is, you know, we knew as you start to perfect this VAR thing uh, or, or assume you're going to perfect it, the, the margin of error is going to change and the scrutiny is going to change. It's never going to go away and, until we're all replaced by robots. It's never going to go away. And that's going to that's going to get smaller and smaller to, you know, millimeters upon millimeters on what's offside or onside. But really, for me, the most exciting thing is Everton. Right. For the last decade. Uh, I have positive mem memories of, of a good Everton, of, of a European Everton. And now you're starting to see them come back and play an exciting style of play, take on a Liverpool. And yeah, there was controversy around the match, perhaps some red cards that should have should have been rolled out. But ultimately, it, it's an exciting side. And when you look across the table in the Premier League right now, I like where Everton is at, obviously sitting up above the table. But I like their chances for this season just because they actually have a quality team. Yeah, Jimmy, I mean, let's stick with that Everton point, right? It, it, I, I feel that Everton fans now can say it's a disappointment that they just came out with a point. I mean, granted, VAR and everything, but I think that their targets and objectives are that much higher. Yeah, I definitely want to get into a discussion with VAR, but with regard to Everton, what I really liked is that they were down twice in this game and they found a way to come back and get something out of it. They didn't, maybe the Everton of the last few seasons wouldn't have found a way. They might have been, you know, being upset with each other or just not having that spirit that it takes to get back into it. So I thought that showed a lot of character and that's a testament to the players that he brought in. I, I want to give a shout out. I don't think he's going to get a lot of love along the way. I just think he's the guy that does the dirty work and he's kind of the glue of the team as Alon. I think he's very, very good. I thought that was a really smart pickup from Napoli. Ducare obviously is very good. Hamas is going to do his thing and it's just elevated the whole experience, you know, and, and uh, I'm excited for Everton. Like Heath said, I'm actually, I can't, I actually want to watch Everton. Like, you know, before you'd see like an Everton West Brom, you're like, oh man, I don't, do I want to waste 90 minutes of my life doing that? You know, but now if that happened, I'd be like, oh, I'll turn on Everton. I kind of want to see what they're about. And it helps that I have a few of their guys in my fantasy team. But, but uh, yeah, excited for Everton. And, and now with Liverpool suffering a significant injury to Virgil van Dijk, who is now slated to be out seven to eight months, maybe it's the blue team in Liverpool that's going to have a little bit more success than the red one this season. I think uh, you 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 led with a really good point there, Heath. How impactful, and I think the you know the answer to this is how you know we we know Virgil van Dijk now. The latest is he's going to have a, you know a knee surgery, and it's obviously so uh, sad not just for Liverpool fans but just fans overall to see such a dynamic centre back to be out for so long. Um, it came at the cost of a two-footed foul from Everton keeper Jordan Pickford, which was not even, uh, you know, reprimanded due to the fact that it was an offside call. So it wasn't really an active play. I mean, we, we're going to talk about what we think about that in general, but just how big is that loss for Liverpool? Oh, it's massive, right? This is, you know, if you look at Liverpool over the last couple of seasons and, you know, heavy, heavy metal football of Jurgen Klopp, you look at the attackers and you look at all, all the glory that comes there, but really you know, to be able to take the risks that you have, you have to have a back line that's stable, right? Uh, and, and, and we'll get to that also when we talk about Spurs uh, in a little bit about a stable back line. But when you lose Virgil van Dijk, he's the guy who's played the most matches. You know, it was, it was a point when Jurgen Klopp said that he's played, uh, he doesn't know how many matches, but he doesn't come off the field. He couldn't finish that match, which just shows you, kind of puts you in a position where, where he's thinking like, I don't know what to do now. This is, this is my mainstay. This is right up the spine of the team. This is a leader in, in so many ways that, it's going to be hugely impactful. And I just don't see how you can replace that 
with already injury prone center backs that they have within the team and, and really just the morale that, that they have, right. They're coming off of such a strong year that when you lose something like this so early and everybody's speculating, is it, is could he come back by the end of the season or whatever? Like you pretty much have to write him off for the rest of the year. So I think this is, and I don't think I even need to say this, the biggest sort of swing within this club in the last few years in terms of going from such a high to potentially such a low. Yeah. Players like Joe Matip and, uh, um, Joe Gomez are going to have to really step up. All right, let's talk about the actual uh, situation that unhandled. What, what did you make of it, Jimmy? I mean, as I mentioned, a two-footed, uh, a horrific challenge on, on so, Van Dyke. What, what did you make of it? So I've watched this play over and over and over. And obviously Van Dyke's looking at the ball. Fabinho plays it up over the top. Good run. You know, unfortunately, he's a little bit offsides. When I, and Heath was a defender as well. If we knew that we were going to probably get beat to the ball for a shot on goal or whatever, I always felt like we had the attitude. And then I don't want to speak for Heath, but for me in particular, if you were going to score, I was going to make you earn it. And if that meant I was going to kick you in the face, I did it to Chad Marshall once and he ended up scoring. I'm like, well, he earned it. You know, he can take it. I just, I just tattooed his face with some shoelaces. Uh, he, he at least did that. And I think Pickford in that situation was just trying to make himself big. Does he need to follow through there? Probably not, but when I watch it in fast motion, it doesn't, it doesn't seem outside of the realm of possibility. It didn't seem as egregious. Now, of course, when you slow it down and watch it from 15 different angles, it looks infinitely worse. But, but in that moment, he's trying to make a decision and making it hard for Van Dyke in a big derby game where you expect tackles like that. You expect rough play in some ways. I'm not trying to forgive him. Obviously, it was very dangerous and, and it put Van Dyke out for a long time. But... I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence because as a defender myself, I just felt like you always want to make it difficult for the striker or whoever's getting a goal scoring opportunity. And so I can understand why Pickford made the decision that he did. So, Heath, what did you think? Because here's my here's my point. I don't, there's nothing uh, to, to, to what Jimmy's saying. Of course, you are doing anything possible to make sure that the opposition doesn't get an opportunity so that Jordan Pickford comes out, etc. He's like the other players offside, whatever. My issue is this. If we are now instilling something like VAR or at least additional help to make sure that the main official, right, is able to now see even after the fact that, yeah, indeed, it was terrible, regardless whether it was offside, shouldn't have he received some kind of booking or alert or say, listen, this is big what just happened, regardless whether it was offside. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I think that's the the value of uh, of instilling or or implementing uh, VAR the correct way. I do think he should be sent off, and I, I agree with Jimmy in the sense that so often I, I was sent off, and I, I believe it was my last MLS game. Um, let's erase that from our memory. I think it was my last ever MLS game, and I went out and just to be big, right? Uh, opened my legs up like this and was sent off for showing both my studs. I didn't get into a challenge. I didn't make any contact, but I made myself big and I was sent off as a field player. But if you watch goalkeepers so often, they're trying to make themselves as big as possible to cover as much goal face as possible. They're also trying to intimidate a little bit, right? Make you have to, to earn those situations. If you look at it, like Jimmy said, in slow motion, it looks, it looks bad. Right. And it, I, I equate this to the same thing as if you look at, and, and again, I'm not trying to excuse it either um, because when it does happen, it, it needs to be addressed. Right. I don't think it was meant to, to happen. I don't think it was, there was maliciousness in that, but I do think he went out big and, and wasn't afraid to make some contact there. It's just wrong place at the wrong time. And it ends up with a really tragic injury. But I, I equate this the same as if you look at, 
in slow, slow motion, right? And 15 angles of a dog pile in the NFL. You watch really closely. You see how close so many ankles and knees and hips and arms are twisting and everything like that. You go, wow, this is just like millimeters of superb athletes from being injured athletes. And, and that's the way I see it. You can break it down a million times over, but that's why VAR is there. It should be able to address that and say, okay, maybe the maliciousness wasn't there, but the reality is he went up, he made the contact, he injured the player. It, 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 it even if the intent wasn't bad, it was still a send off, uh, send offable offense. And that's, that's kind of my, my uh, two cents or not two cents on that. I, I actually might have to disagree because Pickford is playing to the whistle it wasn't like the offside was called and then he kicked him after the fact which is where i think you can give him a red card i think i just think there's this little gray area that exists in the game that if the whistle's been blown or if the offside rules the play dead then anything after that i don't know it, it, you shouldn't get a free shot on anybody but pickford wasn't going out of his way he's just trying to make it big it's that one's a little gray i look forward to talking to a real referee about this and not just me and uh Heath getting through it with our old defender lenses. I got thrown out of my uh, last national team game with a red card as well. So I, I, I know that feeling. Honduras, uh, I remember it. Oh, dude, I'm still bitter. We can, we can forget that from everybody's yeah, memory let, too. Let's but, not go down memory road. No, here, but what I want to say is that Liverpool fans are obviously and should be very upset about this whole thing. And I get where they're coming from. But if you guys remember last season where Trent Alexander-Arnold came right through Saka on Arsenal, that thankfully he didn't get hurt. He didn't tear his knee or any of that type of stuff. But it could have been very similar. And, and yet, I'm not saying that Liverpool fans were making excuses for Trent, but there were a few that were making excuses. Like, ah, it's part of the game, you know, sometimes you just got to go through somebody. And so it's just interesting when they're, uh, you know, then they're upset about their player getting hurt as opposed to the one that was actually, you know, uh, incurring the injury or let, getting somebody let, else hurt. So. Let me ask one question real quick. Do you guys think that the perception of this changes if there's no ACL, right? Hard challenge. 100%. Misses a game or two, maybe out four to six weeks, right? But not a season. Like an ACL is one that can potentially affect your entire rest of your career. Do you think the whole mood changes at that point? My argument with all of this, actually, I, the horrific ACL news and the knee surgery is obviously terrible, but it's after the fact of the original opinion that I have, which is when Jordan Pickford made that uh, two-footed towel, even though the ref, like you said, you can't see it in normal time, we now have technology that can that should help the main official see look what just happened it doesn't matter if it was an offside uh inactable play now you actually have technology to help you see that that was a horrific challenge of course he didn't mean to do that of course he wanted to make himself open and make sure that there wasn't a goal being scored but the fact is he hurt him he hurt him real bad and he should have been booked moving on with that Let's stay with the game. Let's talk about uh, the other part <laughs> at the very end where Jordan Henderson thought he had won it for Liverpool 3-2, but Sadio Mane um, was just, I believe, his arm just literally on the line of offside. Uh, he obviously created the assist and therefore the, get, the goal was not uh, you know, allowed and it stayed too well. Uh, Jimmy, what, what was your... Uh, well, what, do you, what do you think about that, that? I mean, obviously, the rule is the rule. Uh, what do you think about the rule itself, I guess? I would say that it didn't feel like where his positioning was, given how close it was. You know, I thought there was kind of an interpretation of offside in the past where kind of the tie goes to the runner, tie goes to the attacker in this, and they want to see more goals. They want to uh, help provide those situations. Mane was 
his back was to goal. It wasn't like he was like creeping on the line and like ready to go in. And that gave him that superior advantage. There was no advantage. The defender was caught for my opinion, ball watching a little bit, could have been a little bit closer to him. Monty gets the ball played to him. He just turns and runs. It's so close. I, I think for me, that's a goal. And I want to, when I say VAR, I almost think about uh, handballs as well. If, if the balls, and I used to think about this before VAR, if I'm a, a player in the box and the ball gets whipped in and it's crossed, or say it's like a, some guy just kind of bombed forward and there's nobody, none of his teammates are in the, in the box, and he whips the ball in and it just happens inadvertently to hit somebody's hand, the defender's hand. Not in a gajillion years should I think that's a penalty because he's got no, it wasn't going to any of his teammates. And I just feel like that needs to be brought into play when you're making these types of decisions that can change the impact of a game. I know that's a kind of a out there type of example and not the same, not like for like here, but, but I just think those types of things, that nuance and subtlety that when they're teaching these referees to look at these certain plays, I think that should be brought into it because there is no way they're going to score off some hopeless cross where there's nobody in the box to just to further that, that point. But so that I'm just kind of, I want that nuance and subtlety to be brought in. And I just don't know if the referees have that type of experience. I don't know. Yeah, I would agree with that in the sense that if, if you looked at Mitrovic's penalty that he gave up for Fulham this morning, uh, he's swinging up on a ball and he misses the ball. But the, the guy who touched it before he got hit sends the ball square <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, to the sky. And you're, you know, it's kind of like that whole one-on-one with the goalie where he takes the long touch over the end line, draws the foul and gets the penalty that you want to have some sort of nuance and, and feel to it. And I know they're trying to say, okay, contextually, does this make sense, right? If you were to hit a ball over the end line and then get fouled, is it a foul or is it not? And having that feel for the game. But I do think that is a part that's missing as the next stage of, of the development of, of these types of things of what is the impact? What is the role that it's playing and, and, and how much of an advantage is actually coming out of this? Um, and again, when, when, it, when you're a victim of it, when your team's a victim of it, or you, uh, whether you're a player or a fan, you're never going to agree with, with how, how it's played out, no matter how good it gets. But I do think that Jimmy's right in that that nuance needs to, to be there more often than not. Yep. I think we will end that game right there. What do you think uh, in terms of both the decisions in the game, the game itself, tag Kegolasso pod on Twitter. It's a good thing we have Christina Uncle later on to talk to us a little bit more from a professional standpoint as opposed to three amateurs like ourselves just talking about it let's move on and let's let's stay with Saturday uh let's talk quickly about Manchester City against Arsenal before we get into the game Man City wins one nothing and obviously uh, another occurrence in this one Uh, Jimmy from a betting standpoint how did that look yeah it was it was not great not as good for me as Everton Liverpool I had well I had Granit Xhaka getting a yellow card plus 150 I thought that was going to hit for sure um it didn't hit damn you that's crazy I know I just felt like I was printing money with that one and then I missed Arsenal getting a result I I thought they were going to get at least a draw that would have paid uh, plus 375 and then if they had gone for the win which I thought they had a chance given some of the lineup issues that City had, though Aguero and Sterling both started. We didn't think either one of them was going to start before the game. That obviously probably would have influenced uh, different things before I made those bets. But but I just thought Arsenal was going to get more out of it, and they just they didn't really threaten. They didn't seem to – I don't know. I didn't really like Nicola Pepe up top in the false nine spot. They had three wingers uh, in their front line. I just thought they needed Lacazette. They needed more of a proper number nine to maybe find that balance and and, and – I, I respect Mikel Arteta. You know, 1-0 loss to Man City is nothing to be ashamed about. Obviously, they had good team shape and all that. I know I'm jumping right into the analysis, but I, I just – I wonder if he regrets that that Nicola Pepe in the, in the false nine spot. Yeah, just to give a little bit more context before we uh, ask what he thinks, the Man City uh, – you know, this performance, I think um, – 
really was about Man City just taking advantage of the fact that there was no bite in Arsenal. I think they were more focused on trying to being organized as opposed to trying being threatening. Uh, you know, when you look at the stats, you know, the uh, everything that you thought would take the boxes from Man City's perspective happened, you know, more possession, more attempts on goal, et cetera. Raheem Sterling, of course, doing his thing. And I think that, that this is when depth is a key thing uh, in a situation. Heath, what did you make of the game? Yeah, look, I, I, I totally agree. I think that they were trying to be organized. For me, that's a great thing for Arsenal, right? Because they normally would have played wide open, probably gotten smashed against this team. But I was a little bit disappointed when Benj had this insider thought that party was going to get the start. I listened to it on your preview pod um, and, and he didn't. He did, he did make his debut, but yeah, you're right. It, it, it was more of an organizational structure on how they're going to play against Manchester City, which was a bit disappointing because it could have been a little more entertaining to see. And they definitely didn't have that bite that you mentioned. So, um, and, and again, for a Manchester City team right now, that would have been an opportune time for Arsenal, who are probably the best energy and vibe they've had in the last few seasons, a, a chance to, to at least get a point against uh, a very, you know, so-so uh, Manchester City squad. So-so for their standards, that is. I think that once Partey comes into this lineup, it might help them be a little bit more adventurous, knowing that there's more of a rock in midfield. But let's talk about the major issue here, because we have a lot of games to talk about. But there was a big one uh, when an offside, sorry, a throw-in decision by assistant referee Sean Masiales was given um, against Man City. Uh, Sergio Aguero, who was closest to the to the call, uh, thought it should have gone otherwise. And not only did he argue against the Lions woman, but he went and grabbed his arm around her, put her like almost even like wrapped around the neck and pulled it back. And it was a very it was, when you watch it, it was very it was more than uncomfortable. And, you know, quite honestly, would he have done that if that was a man? And would there have been a booking? Uh, because since 2016, you know, the, the laws on touching a ref on, on, on physically doing something egregious to a ref, to a ref or a lines assistant, you know, has been done and implemented and this honestly jimmy was terrible to see uh and as i'm reading right now as of right now as of we're taping there is no action that will be taken against Sergio Huero. Pe Guardiola after the game said you know he's one of the nicest people that may be the case but you know uh, an action speaks louder than a personality sometimes and what we saw here was not exactly what we wanted to see jimmy what, what do you think no when i was watching the game and i saw it i actually was a little taken aback. I didn't believe what I saw. He, he shouldn't be touching the referee, male or female. You know, that's just, it's really unacceptable for him to kind of approach it the way that it is. Like he was trying to convince her like, Hey baby, you know, I got your, I don't know if it's like that or not, but they just kind of gave off that vibe. And so I agree with you that it was uncomfortable. I think that the center referee missed an opportunity to set a precedent that you can't touch our referees, female, male, doesn't matter. You cannot touch the referees and there should have been, or I think there should be uh, some kind of punishment. It doesn't have to be severe, but I, I think there has to be something to say, hey, listen, you can't touch the referees. That's it. This isn't a, it's not, it's not even a sex thing. It's just, you can't touch them. And, and I think that would hopefully go a long way towards uh, setting precedent for how the rules that need to be enforced. Yeah, Heath, my biggest argument to this as well was when we were like, obviously this blew up on social media and I even posted about it and I, I shared my thoughts. Sometimes the reaction is like, but look how many times he's done it here and there and there. This is different. We, people need to know that. 
Okay, not just because I mean, to Jimmy's point, whether you're a man or a woman and you're an assistant referee or a main official, you should never do that. But this is different because if you watch it, he's not just like putting his arm on like on the arm of the assistant. He's literally like you said, Jimmy, putting his hand around her neck and almost like in a very disrespectful way from a male to a female perspective. It just it's bad. It's just bad, and it's not the same as any other situation. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I, and I tried to go into it. You know, when I see the hype of certain situations, I try to, you know, and maybe it's just my, my mentality. You're always trying to take the other side of the start, and I just try to watch it. And the more I watched it, the more uncomfortable I became, the more slow I watched it, the more you see the, all the nuance of, like, the arm around and a little bit of the squeeze that's, like, shoulder and neck, and it's a little bit of a pull towards him. And all of these little things that you watch it over and over again, and you try to make sense of it, right? You try to say, okay, switch the woman with a man and, and, and is it okay? You know, switch, you know, and, and create these different scenarios in my head as I've tried to watch it to really formulate a, a, what I feel is a, um, an educated opinion on this. And it just never changed. It actually got worse and worse every time I watched it again, slow motion, new angles and things like that. It just needs to be, as Jimmy said, they need to set a precedent and then they need to follow through from there, right? So anytime this is, and not just in a situation like that because it's male, female, if it's, if it's, if it's approaching a ref and there's contact on the, on the field with the central referee or a fourth official or things that happen in scuffles, that's where the follow through has to come so that it's not creating this divide on what's okay and what's not okay. And then the arguments start, right? That's, it's a good chance to set a precedent, whether it's a suspension now or uh, whether the referee did it during the game and then move forward with that consistently um, from here on out, because it's, it's just, that was super cringy and, and, and super awkward and uncomfortable. And I think there's a lot of situations that take place with the referees where the players and as a former player, you get heated in the moment of certain things, but it doesn't make it acceptable. And I think, yeah, they need to follow through with that moving forward. And I want to make something very clear. Nobody's canceling Sergio Aguero in this show. Okay. That's not what this is about. This is just a conversation about what really should have happened and what he should think about in retrospect to the actions that happened over the weekend. There is, I'm sure he's a great person. He just committed a big mistake and hopefully he can learn from it. Nobody's canceling anybody. So please don't add us, all right, about that because it's not about that. It's about it's, learning it's, from your mistake. That and it's just, it's simple professionalism. That's you know, it. it's just being a professional. We, if to, to Heath's point, I hadn't gone down that road, but- what if a female professional put her arm around, you know, a male assistant referee after a, I just, that wouldn't be okay either. Like it's just not okay in any situation or I don't know. I, I just think it's simple professionalism. I wish that Pep would have said that, that he, he wants all of his players to maintain professionalism at all times. We shouldn't be touching the ref. A couple of good opportunities, I think, for people that are role models in a lot of different ways to, to not, again, not cancel anybody, but to say, Hey, listen, that behavior's, not okay. And I actually liken it, not liken it, but I remember when Jose Mourinho had to address Eric Dyer going into the stands to go fight some people, you know, he, he, you can sense in that, cause it was just on that Amazon uh, documentary. You can sense that he wants to protect his player, but then as he's walking out, he's like, but I, you can never do that. You know what I mean? And so I'm glad he actually said that part of it. And I wish that Pep would have said something similar. I wish the center referee would have actually yellow carded Sergio Aguero for, for behavior that's unacceptable. So it's just, I just were, we just have an expectation, a general expectation that Sergio Aguero and all the players that are professionals just maintain their professionalism in those situations. 
And luckily for us, we have Christina Uncle again to give us her thoughts, both from a professional perspective and just what she thought in general uh, with that ex- specific situation. Let's move on. A lot more games. We'll stick with the Premier League. Um, let's let's do this. Let, let's stay in the day of Saturday because and you can you know you can double up if you want uh, because I also want your opinion on on American talent right now and what they did in the weekend. But Chelsea Southampton. Uh, Christian Pulisic returns, he starts, he looked good. I mean, but this was really about Timo Werner and just his ridiculous talent. Um, but, you know, Chelsea did not look that specifically convincing. What did you make of it, Heath, looking at this game? Chelsea Southampton. Yeah, well, first of all, I was glad that Pulisic is back. I think that's a huge thing, not just for Pulisic and American or U.S. sports fans or U.S. national team fans, but just for Chelsea in general. He's, he's When he's on his game, he's the best attacker they have. And obviously now we're seeing Kai Havertz, Timo Werner. But this was all about those three former uh, German players from, from Germany. Uh, but Timo Werner finally, finally breaking the deadlock and getting his first goals. But they were incredible goals, right? In, incredible runs. You, you, if you saw, actually... I'm not going to go back to this, but when Timo Werner goes over that goalkeeper to make himself big, he definitely gets his body uh, uh, open. But yeah, Timo Werner really showed up today. <laughs> Christian Pulisic set up the uh, set up a goal kind of on the dribble and put in a nice, nice, nice little through ball that that led to a goal. So you know, overall, I think in the attack, they're young, they're exciting, um, but again, not that convincing on the other side. Yeah, Jimmy. Yeah, so what I would say about Timo Werner, I really like the second goal. I know it was just Jorginho playing the ball up over the top, but there is some rapport there. There's some nuance. There's some understanding that, hey, if you get the ball in the situation and I'm in 1v1, just put it over the top and see what happens. And Timo Werner did very well, obviously, to hold off the defender, pop it over the goalkeeper and head it in. I think his movement um, off the back line is excellent. You can sense that his teammates are getting used to him as well. It's good to see Kai Havertz get on the score sheet. But with regard to the game overall, Chelsea, again, just shoots themselves in the foot. Kai Havertz gives up a bad ball in the middle of midfield two minutes before halftime. You can never give up a goal the first five or last five minutes of any half. That is like a coaching thing you have to know. If you guys are taking your coaching licenses, you have to know that. That is one thing you always have to tell you. I'm team. taking mine, Jimmy. I'm taking mine, and I wrote that down. So Good. Yes, good. Thank you, Heath. So, <laughs> so you can never do that, and it just changes your halftime talk and how you're going to approach the second half. You know, the second goal, Kurt Zuma's bad back pass, Kepa's all over the place. You know, you might as well turn on the circus music when that one's happening. I feel like you can do that once a game with regard to Chelsea's defending. And then when they finally get the lead again and establish themselves, they give up a set piece, you know, and it's just, it's every which way you can give up a bad goal they did. And, and until they could eliminate in that part of it, I don't even blame Kepa. And I know Kepa, Kepa their goalkeeper, gets a lot of heat. Maybe the second one he could have done a little bit better. I know Heath wants to jump in and talk about that because I did a coach Jimmy and put it on my social media and talked about it and really hammered Kurt Zuma. But, <laughs> but it, until they eliminate and get a better mentality that they need to got, have guys that make plays in, in meaningful parts of the game, you have to take that responsibility and say, I'm going to make a play no matter what. It's going to be hard for them to win any kind of trophies of significance. And until they can get that going, I think Tiago Silva will help. He wasn't out there, but you know, that type of guy that's won some things will well, really, really help the, a very young team. Yeah, Heath, just, you know, when I'm looking at the table, obviously we know, you know, they've already scored 13 goals in the league. We know they can score. We know the offensive firepower. I think the ongoing issue with Frank Lampard that I've seen for a while now, and I actually saw it when he was managing Derby, is that there is a lack of understanding once they lose the ball in the final third and defensive transition is a big issue for them. So they've conceded nine goals in the Premier League. It's not the highest statistic, but it's pretty high for a team that's trying to not just be in the top four, but maybe even win it. 
And I think that that's going to be a problem that's not going to go away, especially now when the, you know, the games are coming thicker and faster with the Champions League, et cetera. What, what do you think? Final thoughts on Chelsea Southampton. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that they're, they're, this is the balance of building a team, right? You've got Chelsea has shifted from being this pragmatic win, one nils to being this exciting, attacking, young, kind of all about the youth and letting them go. That comes with, we, we glorify the youth sometimes, but sometimes that comes with sacrifices, right? Of, of understanding, having situational awareness of how to see out moments, to see out games on how to control leads and things like that. When everything's all about the attack and that is the, the shiny toy right now in, in global football is, is, is this young, exciting attack, the gig and press, things like that. But there's also this maturity that comes with having more experienced players on the field that can help to close out games and make, make plays in key moments. When you look at the Zuma one, same thing. The reactions were poor, and Jimmy knows this. When you, when you lose the ball transitionally or, or you're playing out, uh, uh, trying to play out a result, you play pessimistically. You assume that every pass is a bad pass. You assume that every ball is going to get in behind your back line. You assume all of these things so that you're constantly on the go trying to make plays and make plays and make plays as opposed to thinking that everything's just going to be fine. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get some quick thoughts from you, Jimmy, just very quickly, betting tips and even a little analysis, and then we'll, we'll carry on. But Newcastle, Manchester United, such a weird game, I thought. Uh, obviously, United with that 4-1, everything basically happened in the last moments. Uh, some quick thoughts from you. Yeah, there was some good value there for Newcastle to get a result. And given that Manchester United were coming in off their 6-1 loss to Spurs, uh, it looked like a good flyer to put out there. Obviously, what I really liked about Manchester United, they gave up the early goal and own goal two minutes into the game. You'd think, given how they are and how they're feeling about themselves, they would have put their head down. But they kept fighting, they kept pushing, and they ended up scoring some very good goals there in the last 10 minutes. Bruno Fernandes was fantastic. And what I want to say about this game in particular is that when Juan Mata's in the team, they're different in midfield. The way he combines with Bruno Fernandes, he had a great goal in the first half that got called back. Uh, just the way that they're looking for each other. And then in that last goal that Bruno Fernandes scored, actually is the one that unlocked it, made it 2-1. It starts with Van de Beek. Van de Beek plays it into Fernandes. And then it ends up at Matsu, who plays in uh, Rashford, who then you know, leads it to Bruno Fernandes, who puts it top corner. It's Beautiful. such a great goal. But I want those guys on the field. If I'm a Manchester United supporter, I want the, that combination of midfielders. I think there's still a place to find Pogba in the, in the lineup somewhere, but you got to have some guys that, like sit down and kind of see the game the same way. And I really think that uh, Fernandez and Mata and Van de Beek uh, are those guys. And then you can kind of add the pieces around them. And I really feel like you'd have a nice, well-oiled midfield, which is what they need. Now, defensively, I don't know how that's going to work so much, but going forward and transition, they would be A+. It was a good result, taking the as well. The Newcastle actually took the lead, one nothing, and then it ended 4-1. Let's stay in the Premier League, and now we're talking about Sunday. Uh, we promise we'll, we're going to go into Europe, but just these two quick games. First of all, Tottenham-West Ham. Here comes Tottenham, full-on steam train, 3 nothing in the first half. Harry Kane, Harry Riquelme Kane. He's not just a striker anymore. He's like finding human son every single opportunity. Son scores in 45 seconds. You think this is just going to be a 6 nothing uh, win or a 6-1 win, just like when they did against Manchester United. But then <laughs> the term so spursy is just so true sometimes. Heath, it ends 3-0. Manuel Slam Lancini with an absolute Pushkas worthy goal right in the moment. What a hit. 3-0. I mean, what a game. Incredible game. And 
I always go back to this thing when I when I used to play uh, uh, Madden when I was a kid and and John Madden when he was actually the the commentator on maybe he still is I haven't played it in a decade but when I used to play the video game he used to say if it if it hits your fingers you should be able to if you you should be able to catch it right that was always the thing and when I see a goalkeeper get a hand on it you're like or even a finger on it you're like man could you have actually just pushed that forward and and made a play I'm incredible incredible goal but you're right in the sense that when you watch a son's first finish. The defender's two, three yards off of him. He curls it in, not even deep into the back post. And you're like, is this a friendly match? It just had that sort of vibe to it of like, they're going to get beat bad. Um, which is, again, you go back to Mourinho style of play. And, and now he's got this super exciting attack. And, uh, you know, the one thing that he usually does is solidify that back line right up the spine, knows exactly how to get in and out of these results. But how do you now, when you have uh, Son and, and, and Kane and now Bale, uh, and two of which are on record pace to break every every goal and assist record in the Premier League right now. I know it's early, so nobody kill me for that. But <laughs> but in, in that kind of form, like you're going to have to start sacrificing some of that if you want to have more two way players on the field, players that will, again, get into good positions to be able to see out results. I know I know it was three nil at the 78th minute or whenever the first goal was to go three three. But it's completely unacceptable to go up three nil against anybody in the world, no matter what team you are, and at least not come out uh, with three points. Give me the I mic gotta, is yours. I got to jump in because I agree with what Heath is saying. There is going to have to be a, maybe a better balance of the players that Mourinho had in. I think the guys that started were excellent. It's the subs that came in and didn't do, do it for me. I thought Gareth Bale in particular uh, wasn't sharp. And that I was to be expected. He had one good goal scoring opportunity. Maybe Bale when he's super fit and sharp, he definitely buries that. Okay, that's fine. He's still up top. Uh, Lucas Mora comes in, right? You bring him in to like, keep the ball and hold the game and kill it off or whatever. He gets beat ball watching, which leads to the guy that crosses it, which leads to uh, Sanchez heading in the own goal, which is obviously unlucky, but it's 3-2. He can sense the belief that West Ham has. And then uh, Harry Winks. Yeah, he, he, he tries to control the ball in the top of the box with 30 seconds or less left in the game under a ton of pressure. And, and that, inside. Like, he inside, tries to inside. Dude, inside. And then it lays like perfectly for Lanzini, who, as you said, slams it into the top corner. I, I yes, I have issues with all of that. Now, I, I watched Mourinho's press conference afterwards when he was right on the field and he was talking. He mentioned something that I noticed. There was a really cheap foul. It was 3-0. And Musa Sissoko fouls somebody on the sideline that he didn't need to foul. It was just kind of a, a rush of blood to the head. It was he didn't need to do it. The guy was going backwards. There was no reason. And that ended up leading to the first goal that, that uh, West Ham scored. And it's those little things that I think Mourinho is going to pick on is, Hey, just keep your head here. And even on the last one, Serge Aouye cut out the pass. He takes a touch and relaxes. The guy cuts in front of him. That's the foul it leads to the third goal. So yeah, I mean, I'm going at the subs a little bit, but there's still plays that ha players that have to make plays and they have to concentrate. They thought they had the game one too. And I actually heard from um, Declan Rice spoke after the game as well the captain for West Ham. And he said, yeah, they just stopped playing in the second half. They stopped pressuring us because they already thought they had it won. He's like, I, I, we couldn't believe it, you know? And so, I mean, I think that all speaks for itself. And, and one, one last thing on that, Luis, uh, is that you could see this. And it's just on Jimmy's last point. You could see the smile on Harry Kane's face. It was very casual, right, in the mm -hmm. second half. He hits the post midway through the second half or late in the second half. It's a laugh. It's a smile. He's disappointed. But ultimately, they're like, okay, we've got this result. And there was a little – you could just see that, that just – um, arrogant arrogance yeah yeah that arrogance yeah. that you know that three no is almost impossible yeah. to come back from and right. and and they got punished by a couple bad few things of bad luck and then a moment of brilliance
whilst I'm reading multiple headlines, uh, I, I keep seeing lack of ruthlessness overall. And I think that's a major port. And actually Tottenham now drawing one, lost two, have failed to win any of their opening three home games of a Premier League season for just the fourth time conceding stoppage time equalizers in each of their last two. So the term so spursy is just, I'm sorry, it's a cliche Tottenham fans, but it's really not. It's a true reality. Listen, but really quick, really quick on this. After the first 45 minutes, I was like, I think Spurs can win the league. I mean, that's yeah. how, that's how well they played in the first up. half. I was like, I, these guys are title contenders. I, I tweeted that it was like, am I actually talking about beautiful football from a Mourinho <laughs> team that's yeah. not in from Milan? It's I, amazing. I got one. I got one last thing. And Luis, this is a question for you or, or, or Jimmy. How does Mourinho handle this now? Right. He's got the most informed strikers or strike force in the league, but they're not getting any points. They're not getting the results that you need. How do you actually like that's that's my whole thing is like that's a whole nother set of issues. Right. How are you going to tell these guys that are playing the top of their game that something's got to change? Yeah, I don't want to stick too much in this game, but I'll tell you one thing. When I was reviewing all or nothing right? The Tottenham latest uh, documentary with Amazon Prime, something that Mourinho himself said to his team. And it's so true. He said, you guys are all so nice. You're the nicest people. And that's your problem. You're not, you're not like, you're not mean enough. You're not tough enough. I can't say the actual word, but he's like, he wanted them to just have more bite. And I think that when you look at this team, at this point in Mourinho's career, it's going to be very difficult to try and get that ruthlessness. I mean, somebody like Tonguyan Dumbella should be the most lethal defensive center midfielder in the Premier League, and he just isn't. Well, they, so, well listen, wait, well, in fairness to him, they didn't start scoring goals till he came out. True. So, I mean, I mean, I, I just want to throw that out there. Yes, I think, I think overall your point is valid, that they still are too nice. They still need like a Roy Keane in the middle of the park who will pull you by the collar and make sure you're doing your job no matter who you are. But I did see Harry Kane making tackles to block shots at the end of the first half. They just, they just dropped off in the second half. As Declan Rice rightly pointed out, they just stopped pressing. They stopped trying to give that extra energy that they'd had definitely in the first 45 minutes. Well, we'll finish in that game and we'll just do one more in the Premier League. But, uh, you know, if you watch Ted Lasso, what they need is a Roy Kent. <laughs> right in the middle, just ready uh, to take over. So, uh, moving on to the last one, and I'm wearing it. The poster's right here. Villa with a game in hand, 4 0, second in the table. Ross Barkley in the last minute beats Leicester City to keep this steam train going. And it was incredible. I'm not even going to give you analysis. I'm just going to tell you that we're the greatest team in the planet. I, I, I'm just glad somebody's watching Aston Villa because I'm pretty sure it's not me and Heath. <laughs> Hey, Jimmy, when I, I, asked, I asked Louise earlier, I said, when I looked at the run of show, I just can't believe that Villa is still in this run of show. You know? <laughs> yeah, How are we going to exactly. talk about this? I thought they had their week for the year. You Agreed, know, 100%, 100%. You guys should just be happy that I'm not singing, that I'm not doing all the chants. Right, but let's talk about this. Basically, it was a very good game. And I think that essentially it was a game out of two teams who really believe in the same philosophy. Keep the ball, be super controlling when they don't have the ball, and just aim to attack the opposition's weaknesses. Brendan Rodgers, I think, has done tremendous things with Leicester City. I think that Villa got a little bit of luck, the fact that Jamie Vardy didn't play, of course. But Iniacho is a very, very good player that really was holding the ball. Aston Villa and Leicester City played to a nil-nil result all the way until the last minute when Ross Barkley grabbed that ball and right from outside the box, bottom left corner made that win. But it was a very, very tight game played by two very good teams. And the only thing 
from a Villa perspective, when you're a Villa fan, the only thing that you should be happy about is the fact that now this is a squad that doesn't falter away from home and is super, super organized. And as a result, Aston Villa second in the table with a game in hand, but Everton remains top of the Premier League. What I'll say really quick, just to give a little uh, fist bump and high five to Aston Villa. What I really like is that they seem to take pride in their defending. Like it matters to them to get a clean Absolutely. sheet. And everybody's flying around to make sure that they're doing their job so that they kind of adhere to this. And they take a big source of pride. As you, you men- mentioned Mourinho, he wants the same with Spurs. You know, he, they hadn't had a clean sheet yet. And you could see Mourinho was disappointed when they gave up that first goal because it was preventable. And, and those top teams, Arsenal, Chelsea, they need to kind of, whether you're Pulisic or Werner, it doesn't matter. Like the defending starts at the top and works its way down. Everybody's got to buy in. And I think a lot of the top teams could take notes from what Aston Villa is doing because I really like their team shape and I really like their spirit when it comes to defending. Well, as two defenders right now, you should know that last season Aston Villa didn't even manage to get one clean sheet away from home. They have now three uh, in total in, in the entire season. And they've only conceded two goals, which is the best in the league. So there's a lot to be said for Jimmy's point. Welcome back. Thank you for being patient, non-Premier League followers, because there's still a lot of action that happened outside of England. And we'll stick with, you know, a major topic that we had this weekend, which was the Milan derby. And Slatan Ibrahimovic beats COVID, comes back to the team, Scores a brace, helps AC Milan beat Inter Milan as the away team for the first time in nearly a decade. Uh, a tremendous victory, but just amazing. Uh, you know, we talked about some people that we don't think they're human. Slatan Ibrahimovic is just, he's going to be like 40% transformer. And AC Milan wins this one. Lukaku did have uh, a good attempt at the very end of this game to maybe equalizing Nick a point, but it stays 2-1. Jimmy, betting tips, anything that you win, and then you can go straight into analysis, and then we'll go to him. All right, let's do it. So, yes, I know that Zlatan Ibrahimovic loves scoring in big goals, so I thought good value for him on William Hill was plus 105 to score any time, and he did that. He scored twice, so I thought that was uh, printing some money for you guys and hopefully uh, stacking your 401k with some good dough. And then I had Lukaku scoring any time, too, at plus 110. Both of those guys are on fire. They live for the big moment, Lukaku. Kaku continues to get better and better with each passing season. So I thought those were good. I did miss, however, the over two and a half goals and Inter winning at plus 220. I thought Inter was going to do the business. I thought they were a little bit more steady. I liked how they were set up, though their back three had a lot to be desired. Uh, a couple guys were missing due to injury or COVID. Uh, however, I did say for people that were listening, if, if Milan was in your heart and you had them, I said going the over and them winning was plus 380. I thought that was tremendous value, and they ended up doing it. So if you went that way, congratulations. Uh, I wish you well with regard to how you're going to be spending that. Please invite me, Luis, and Heath out somewhere. Get some drinks together. Uh, that would be a lot of fun. Now, with regard to this in particular, I just thought in the back three, D'Ambrosio was struggling a little bit. He couldn't really handle Liao, who ended up setting up the second goal for Zlatan. Kolarov, what the hell is he doing for the penalty kick on the first one? Those Zlatan makes a good run off the shoulder of DeVry to kind of create the passing lane and get in. Zlatan's not going to pull away from anyone. So even Kolarov, who's like older than Heath and I combined, right? So Kolarov <laughs> comes back in and he's there. He's defending him straight up and somehow wouldn't, for some unknown reason, for a guy that, that, that is that experienced, he should never leave his feet in that situation. He does. He kicks Laton. You got to call the penalty at that point. And that really just kind of set the tone. I think gave Milan a lot of belief. It did, have Inter scored first, I think we would have been talking about a much different result. But fair play to Milan. They showed a lot of heart. Uh, I, thought, I thought Inter had more than enough opportunities to get a draw 
at the very least, Lukaku had a couple of chances uh, amongst others. And, and uh, it's unfortunate that maybe they didn't get out of it with a 2-2. But uh, fair play to Milan. I, I thought that they had a lot of great team spirit. Zlatan has definitely injected that team with a lot of confidence and swagger, which is something that I think that they lacked in the previous seasons. And, and they're fun to watch, too. That's, it's, a, that's a pretty cool team. And I think that's going to be a nice – it's going to be nice to see who kind of steps up and really wants to challenge Juve this season. Keith? Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, and maybe this is a lazy take, but but I look back when we talked earlier in the episode about it, Everton being exciting to watch again. I say the same thing about both Milan and, and Inter being exciting to watch again, right? For so long, there was this looming pressure over AC Milan around Donnarumma and financial fair play and, you know, living up, having to make Champions League and all these things. And now we're actually seeing two really well-built squads uh, that, that are entertaining to watch. And so, you know, I, when normally in the last few seasons, I probably wouldn't have watched uh, the Milano Derby, but this is, these are two teams now that are exciting and Zlatan, same thing, getting, getting two goals. And, you know, uh, if there's two people that I wouldn't want to fight in the street, it's, it's, it's Kolarov and, and Zlatan, but Jimmy's right in the fact that he goes down there. I think he was trying to block a little bit of perhaps that, if he was going to back heel it or roll it back on, on the overlapping run at top of the box, but just a guy of that experience should never uh, kind of clip somebody there or swing his leg into that. And then obviously Zlatan hit, hits the goalkeeper off the, off the penalty, but is able to finish it. And again, it really set the tone from there. And it was just overall an, an entertaining match to watch. I didn't have a dog in, 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 in the fight. And, and um, I, I just, you know, the, the one thing that I think wins is, is just uh, the Italian league overall, just because again, there, there's been so much, kind of um you know with COVID and everything like that over the last sort of however many months it's nice to see two teams playing entertaining not even with their best squads on the field but but just having a, a derby come back to life and and two teams that that sort of prop up that league quite a bit yeah the Antonio Conte philosophy is very nice but I don't think color of would ever or should ever be part of that three at the back it's just not for him as a result of that and because Juventus tied with Crotone, Cristiano Ronaldo out, Weston McKinney out. And of course, we said how much is going to impact. Well, it did. AC Milan is top of the table, top of Serie A with 12 points with Sassuolo, who's another. We talk about Atalanta a lot, but you should watch, fans should watch Sassuolo. They play some great stuff. They're second and Atalanta third. Moving to Spain now in La Liga. Well, Atletico Madrid wins it against Celta Vigo. And you're thinking, okay, should be a, a pretty normal uh, type of uh, Spanish weekend, but then comes Cadiz, the newly promoted team, and Choco Hernandez, who, if you don't know him, he's from Honduras, and he gets the winner, and for the first time in La Liga history, the defending champion loses to a newly promoted team at home, and it's a one nothing. and then, before you know it, Barcelona plays Getafe, Hetafe, I want to sit and just counter Hetafe, and that's exactly what they did, and they get away as well with a victory. So both Barcelona and Real Madrid lose this opening weekend. Any opening thoughts there, Jimmy, from La Liga this weekend, especially as we look ahead to next weekend, which is El Clásico? Yeah, I'll speak about uh, Cadiz uh, initially because they didn't just beat, luckily beat Real Madrid. They outplayed them the whole game. They outshot them. They got more shots on goal. They, they, they limited Madrid to only two shots on goal themselves. Benzema did hit the, the crossbar. Uh, Vinicius Jr. did have an, an open header that he probably should have buried. But I don't want that to take anything away from Cadiz. They deserved all three points here. And it was very cool to see just 
It's almost like, oh, no big deal. We just took out. I mean, there's still their body language was awesome. You know, when he scored the winner, he just kind of jogged off like, yeah, all right, no big deal. We're up one zero. But I mean, they pumped him, especially in the first half. So I'll speak to that. Uh, I don't know what else you saw in, in the Madrid game, Heath, before we move on to Barcelona. No, I mean, I, I think you, you, you were spot on. I don't want to harp on it too much. But uh, again, when you look at the table, uh, you know, you're 11 points or something after six games. It's wide open. This is what I, this is when, and, and, and I, 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 am, I am sort of a big, like I'm all about big football. And I, I, I know that's not the cool thing, but I love watching Real Madrid. I love watching Barcelona. I love watching the big matches from the big teams. When you look at the table, this is when you, a year where you're like, who's going to step up and perhaps take this, right? We saw in the past with, with Atletico Madrid, but ultimately they haven't really taken off yet this season. And so I'm just looking at the table more than anything to say, is this a year where, where perhaps we, we see another winner than, than one of the, the, the two giants? And, and that's what I'm going to be uh, monitoring more than necessarily the results is what other results are taking place that will move people further up the table to uh, try to win the league and make something, you know, create a little bit of uh, new controversy in Spain. Yeah. So apologies to Hondurans. Uh, I said Choco Hernandez because I was thinking of Ivan Choco Hernandez, the boxer, the Mexican boxer, Choco Lozano, the Honduran striker that got that winner against Real Madrid. Here's a question for you both from one of our listeners. Uh, Billy204 on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for dropping your question. Leave a rating and review and ask away. But she had a good one and she said, will Real Madrid suffer this season due to the lack of inactivity in the transfer window? Jimmy, to you. No, I don't think they will. And I don't think they needed to go by anybody. Obviously, you're hoping that Eden Hazard will come back and be healthy. Uh, after suffering some injuries over the summer and this last season, uh, you got Fede Valverde who really emerged as somebody in the middle of midfield, Vinicius Jr. and Rodrigo, who are both up, and up for the Golden Boy Award. You know, you want them to continue to grow as players. You, Luka Jovic at some point is going to start scoring. You know, I feel like he, he can score when he has the Eintracht jersey on, but he puts on a Madrid jersey and he looks like he doesn't know how to score anymore. They have all the, the pieces, you know, Sensio and all these other guys that are coming back from injury that maybe weren't as pivotal the year before. I think they have everything. And, and I also think that they might be seeing what Chelsea did in this last transfer window. Like maybe if we don't spend for a couple of transfer windows, we can go really big. And I really think they have eyes on Mbappe amongst others, maybe even Neymar to a certain extent. And I think they have to kind of keep if they're, if they're a squirrel, right? They're trying to keep all their, their, their acorns for the next, you know, hibernation, because I think they're going to spend big uh, when the next window opens up next summer. That is. What do you think, Heath? I mean, uh, you know, you, you take away Sergio Ramos, from this lineup. I know that there's so much talent, but you take away Sergio Ramos from this lineup if something happens to it, or even Rafael Varane, and, you know, it gets a little worrying at the back. Not not alarming, Not you know, there, there's people to cover, but it gets a little worrying. What do you think about Real Madrid and the, the lack of, uh, you know, activity this summer? Yeah, I... I, I... It's, the, it's a team that's won things before, you know. I think they have the depth. They have young players in the pipeline. I think, again, the, the biggest thing that Jimmy said is that they need a big splash. They're gonna, I don't think they need more players. I don't think they need to, to fill more roster spots. I don't think they need to have two in every position necessarily because they have the quality within their, within their roster. But, you know, even just looking at that, you know, okay, you take Sergio Ramos out, you still have a lot of quality within your lineup, um, you know, and, and depth, even, even looking at the bench, it's, it's, you know, 
Valverde, you've got, you know, you still got Casemiro that can step in. You got Tony Cruz who came out. You got Varane, Marcelo. It's, it's, it's a roster that's, that's Yeah, strong. they can play. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Militao, I wanted to jump in. He did really well when Sergio Ro- I thought the man sitting in the Champions League, it wasn't yeah. him that made the mistakes. It was Varane. And I thought Militao was actually excellent in that game. So, yeah, they have depth everywhere to, to Heath's point. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. I think, and I think Jimmy covered it really well in the first, first, first hit is that they, they could use a big splash, an injection of something exciting, very uh, Galacticos like that I think is the only thing that could be missing. And when you talk about an Mbappe or somebody like that, but otherwise I think it's just that time of the season. And fortunately for them, as I said before, who's going to step up and win this, uh, win this league, or is it going to be another team? No one's doing it yet. And the teams that are up there, you can't honestly stay. They're going to have a chance to sit at the top of the table f- forever. Hitafe is not going to potentially, um, I don't want to say never because we have Leicester stories in our lifetime, but they're not going to necessarily sit at the top of the table or sit in the top four forever. And so that gives opportunities for the Real Madrid's, the Barcelona's, the Atletico Madrid's to find their form over time, tinker with the roster, wait till the whole team is back and healthy, and then splash big potentially in the winter time to really go for a run in the spring. Yeah, the table looks interesting at the very beginning. David Silva's Real Sociedad leads it with 11 points. Villarreal second and Madrid, Getafe, Cadiz, Granada, Barcelona's in ninth. I mean, it's still early, true, but the only caveat I would say is that this is unlike any other season just because of this crazy year that we've had. So maybe we'll see a little bit of a crazy story. Who knows? Either way. I think, Billy, your answer, your question has been answered. I, I think Real Madrid will be fine. It's more to do what they do intercontinentally, I think. Also, we didn't even talk about Martin Odegaard, who was fantastic for La Real, Real Sociedad okay. last season. They brought him back. Now, he hasn't really had the impact yet, but we know that he will. He's already proven his quality against La Liga opposition. So it's just finding a good spot for him on the field. Just to wrap up this uh, segment before the wonderful Christina Unko comes in, uh, you know, we have two former United States men's national team players. We have two legends with me, two amazing defenders, two beautiful men. I mean, look I consider them. myself more of a self legend, Luis, but I appreciate the shout. Just yeah, take- don't say legend. That's where you get the most like. If you call either <laughs> yeah. of us a legend, people are going to really, uh, you know. Oh, Luis. Uh, <laughs> can you just take the compliment? Yes, I can. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. But sure. you're right. They're going to thank you for saying that. But if you want to tweet, you can tweet at them. And, and say them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about uh, the last final story from this weekend. Was there a, a specific, you know, so much American talent, male American talent, just going absolutely crazy in terms of playing in big clubs. Uh, we touched on Christian Pulisic a little bit. Weston McKinney obviously is out right now. Was there anybody, let's go with you, Jimmy, any player that, you know, you want to talk about from this weekend? Yeah, I want to bring up Gio Reyna. I just think that he has been very, very good, continues to grow in confidence with Borussia Dortmund. He had the second assist, uh, you know, that he flicked on a header to Erling Holland, who then tapped it over to Marco Royce for the 1-0 winner over Hoffenheim. They look very good. Uh, Dortmund continuing to, to blood younger players in a really meaningful way. And I just, not only do I want to give a shout out to Reyna for how he's playing, because when he gets the ball, he drives at people. He's always looking to play forward. He's finding those pockets of space between the lines. And then he's, he's trying to play positively. I just think it helps that he's playing with maybe uh, one of the top players of this generation uh, in Erling Holland, top strikers, let's say. I don't want to go too hard on him yet. Obviously, he's still got a lot to prove, but he's proven a lot so far. And I just think having that partnership is only going to get more eyeballs on Gio Reyna. And I think that's a good thing because I think he's going to prove his worth over these next few seasons. And I expect him to make a big move to a big club. Uh, not to say the Dorman isn't, but to one of the super clubs, uh, one of the top, top clubs that, that Heath likes to watch. Could he be better than his dad? 
Absolutely. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I, 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 look, the difference is, 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 you know, you, you probably would have seen um, Claudio Reyna go there in his mid twenties, late twenties to, to, to a Dortmund, right? Gio 17. That's the difference of the conversation now. No one's saying, Hey, he's 17. He should, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll figure out how to finish when he misses chances in the box as a 17 year old that, that could put games away. People are talking about it as if he should finish it because they know he has the quality. It's not about in time and time and time. It's, it's now, it's now, it's now. And he's 17 years old. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable the fact that he's 17 years old and he's just playing like he's been playing for 10 years. Heath, who's uh, a- anybody that you want to bring up? Uh, I would say Serginho Des, first American to, to, to ever play in the first team or debut in the league for, for Barcelona. And again, another guy that I think is 19 years old and that quality and that generation of players, he's, he's not even 20, he's thrown into uh, La Liga and a team and, and is going through the, the growing pains right now, right? Doesn't get the result and he, he's going to get a run of games because of some injuries. And, and I think that's exciting for him. His, 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 you know, his stats were, were okay and he had an okay game, but he had an okay game at Barcelona, which is the thing I'm most excited about. And then, and then the one other thing is Ethan Horvath uh, looks like he's going to be starting uh, this week in the Champions League, which I think is an exciting thing. He'll get a run of games, which I think can only help um, kind of strengthen the experience and pool for the, for the U.S. national team. Yes. I also want to add with Serginho Des that he played out of position. I mean, he came as a right back and they played him at left back. And I thought that was interesting. And, and I thought he was already kind of looking for Messi, which is probably a good thing. If you want to build a relationship with Messi, just give him the ball as much as humanly possible. And Messi had a couple of good opportunities from, from desk passes. And he, how high he's getting up the field is very exciting as well. I still think there's some issues at Barcelona in general. Uh, Griezmann is getting in a bit, bit of a row publicly with Ronald Koeman, the manager, because he's playing him out right wide. And, and Griezmann hasn't, hasn't scored yet this season. And we all kind of thought that he would with Luis Suarez out of the way and Vidal out of the way. He's going to get more minutes and more looks, but then he goes and plays for France with his national team in the false nine spot up top and he scores. And so Griezmann was like, it's just nice to play for a manager that puts me in my best position. Dude, the guy said that Kuman was like, you got to listen to the coach. It's a complete mess. So in some ways I'm excited for senior Serginho Dest to play for Barcelona, but I also want to like get to know him a lot better. Like, Hey, give me the dirt on what's happening at Barcelona. It sounds like a dumpster fire behind the scenes. Well, I will be talking to him very soon. So I'll hopefully try not to dirt. And by the way, on that Griezmann point, he had a very good opportunity to equalize in that game this past weekend in that specific position. He so much adores centrally, just like Cholo Simeone would also put him. And guess what? He put it right over the bar. So sometimes you just got to like live up to what you want to talk about. Uh, The only last point that I will say is that we're also have a great uh, episode with Brendan Aronson, the Philadelphia Union homegrown player, 19 years old. Such a tremendous story here. Now he will be joining RB Salzburg in January. We're looking forward to that trajectory. But that was it for your, I guess, Yanks in Europe. I don't know. We're going to come up with a better nickname there. But uh, thank you so much, gents. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for staying with us. This is usually our longer episode because there's so much to talk about, but we've added a bonus for you. Uh, We're so happy to welcome CBS Insider, um, an expert, a referee. And when I say expert, I mean it in the truest of sense. Here we are, amateurs talking about what we think of VAR and refereeing decisions. Well, now we have Christina Uncle joining us to discuss all the topics from a professional standpoint. Uh, You only have to look at her resume to understand just how much she knows about the game. And we're going to ask her a few questions and just give, and she's going to share her thoughts. Christina, first of all, welcome to Que Podcast. It's so great to have you here. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. And you know, uh, hey, bonus round, let's go. I'm glad to have this conversation, especially since I know Jimmy's been teeing up for this. <laughs> Jimmy's ready, we're all ready. Christina, the first thing that we wanna talk about is the Man City Arsenal game. Towards, uh, in that uh, game, Sergio Aguero uh, and Manchester City thought they had a throw-in decision their way. However, um, the assistant referee, uh, lineswoman Sean Massey-Ellis uh, gave away uh, the, the offside, actually pointed the, off, the throw in, sorry, to the other direction. And Sergio Aguero did not agree with this, but not only did he not agree with it, he decided to put his arm around her and his hand touching her neck almost and almost yanking it back. Now, obviously, we know that from 2016, I believe the rules have been even harsher and implemented on making sure that no player should touch a referee or assistant or official, regardless of sex. Can you, I don't know if you've seen the, what happened. Can you give me your thoughts on, on, on that specific moment this weekend? I've seen the play and it is something where it's, it, it's at least refreshing to see that the majority of the football world, even outside the referees understand and know that that is not okay. That has to be stamped out of the match. So the number one reason why referees do not return to officiate and the number one thing people always say to referees is good luck, that's the hardest job ever, is because of referee abuse or assault. So I'm using these words abuse, assault. People take a look at this clip and say, hey, all he did was slightly pull on her uh, you know, shoulder, on her neck. I understand the severity of it isn't necessarily a strike or a punch, but it's the same concept, it's the same intimidation foul, or it's the same intimidation type of a contact that's being initiated by Aguero here. And I don't really understand why players want to die on the hill of a throw-in, especially when we're talking about like near the quarter flag. But regardless, this is something that has to be stamped out of the game because of the subconscious element or the subconscious messaging that you're sending to people that it is okay to contact official. And this isn't the type of contact, right, where, you know, we're both kind of joking as a player, as a referee, and it's kind of a pat on the back type of a thing where we know it's normal, cordial kind of a conversation. This is clearly an intimidation. Hey, I understand. I don't agree with you. And I'm going to go ahead and make in contact and ensure that you know this. So this has to be gone. He had to have been sent off for this. Um, and it's unfortunate uh, for a little bit from what I'm hearing is that there's actually not going to be any punishments on this uh, play, which, which is incredibly unfortunate because that's sending once again, another message to the, to the players and even to those watching fans and viewers that, Hey, apparently this is acceptable. Uh, and that we, as we say in the referee world, you know, what you, what you ignore, what you don't um, deal with, you're essentially acknowledging and you're giving permission for it to continue to happen. Well said. Yeah. I've got a question for you since we're in this bonus round together. Um, let, let, let's look at the, the Van Dyke uh, incident over the weekend with Jordan Pickford coming out. Uh, the, the main question that I have for you is, is you know, after uh, a play is stopped or after you know, uh, an offside goes up, should there be consideration around something like this? Uh, when obviously uh, you know, Pickford comes out and there's a horrific injury on it, whether it's intentional or not is, is, is irrelevant, but do you think that more consideration should be taken after the fact there? Yes, more consideration should be taken and should have been taken in this situation. So players are still responsible for their actions even after the whistle blows. Uh, so here we have this in situation where, you know, I had heard a little bit of chatter about it before I'd seen the clip that, you know, the flag was delayed. If that flag would have gone up quicker, would this collision have happened? I mean, it's such a quick, quick boom, boom play, right? Uh, we got the service into the box. By the time that flag would have popped up and the whistle would have gone off, 
even if the flag wasn't delayed, which here I think everyone's now understanding the flag's going to be delayed because there's a potential promising uh, goal that could result from this, which then VAR would become involved. The concentration still cannot be lost in this after play. So kind of break it down into two different phases is yes. Um, one, VAR and the referees are so focused on this offside. Was it offside? Why? Because they could tell in their gut that if it's not offside, we got a penalty kick here, right? But that doesn't ignore the play that still occurred. Because it was so quick, right, we still got serious foul play on the situation. Uh, in my opinion, definitely should have been a red card. Um, and I think the reason why, you know, the officials in the VAR here, David Coop, um, as well as assistant VAR, it's such a critical uh, such critical for the assistant VAR who's up in the booth with the VAR, who is an assistant referee um, put in that position, Lee Betts, to not lose focus that this has to be addressed with still. After the fact, yes, okay, we got VAR offside, confirm on the decision on the field, but there still needs to be a red card for serious foul play. And where I think where people kind of get lost, you know, everyone says it's a two-footed challenge, it was. People usually get focused on studs. Was there studs in the knee? Was there contact? No, however, this is the planting leg, right? You got the full weight of the goalkeeper on this, right? Pickford's full weight of, of the challenge is going into this, going right through the knee. As we can, as we now know, right, his entire ACL is out. This is something that still needs to be addressed and can't be forgotten. And it's imperative on not just the VAR to remember this, right, while they're focused on the offside. The AVAR, uh, especially the AR2 in this scenario, if anything, the entire crew needs to remind Michael Oliver that this has to be addressed. It can't be ignored. Yes, offside is the right call on this on this decision. We got come, the ball coming out, but we still got red card. We got to pick that up with Pickford. So I'm two for two right now. I'm two yeah, for two. Just you so are far. two for two. No, you're right. I wanted to, before I give you my example on Sadio Mane's play, which ended up getting nullified, whose responsibility is that then? Who, who, who is, is it, is it the center referee who's got to make that call? Is it the, the VAR, the assistant? Who, who's in charge of, what's the hierarchy with regard to, hey, we really need to address this and who, who takes the responsibility and accountability to say that was a red card? Great question, Jimmy. The entire team. So ultimately, it always rests, and we always say that no matter what, something goes wrong, even if it's an offside call that's missed. I, as a referee, always say, ultimately, that's my fault because I have the whistle, I'm in charge of this match, and I need to ensure that we don't forget this in every way, shape, and form. But when it comes down to this, this is a team failed effort, unfortunately, right? You have your fourth official, right, who's probably dealing with the coaches who are a little bit ecstatic, but at the same time, they're kind of sitting there waiting and, you know, holding their breath, you know, is this offside going to be called? Is it not going to be called? That kind of a deal. But you have to have that input, um, be able to feel that, see that. The assistant referee, the AR2 can help out with this. This isn't something that was an angle issue, right? Only one or two people on this team could have actually effectively have seen this. Everyone would have been able to see this. Everyone on the field would have been able to see and feel this and the VAR and AVR have to do. One other thing that, you know, is incredibly important um, going through um, as a VAR and AVR and hey, it's happened to me too, is sometimes we forget what we call checking the APP, which leads up to the offside, but even after the fact. And so those are one of the communications that your assistant referee on that side sees this challenge, knows that it's rough, right? Already has the offside flag. Um, popping up and is also communicating that information. Not only do I have offside guys, I also have serious foul play or, hey, even if they don't know exactly what it is, take a look on that play by Pickford. That did not look good. Those little cues, those little hints, that VAR has time to take a look. Trust me, everybody on that field wants that VAR to take a look and provide that recommendation. Ultimately, okay. it falls on the head of the referee, Michael Oliver, though. I, I've got 15 follow-ups to this, but but 
just one more, Luis, before I get to my example. Oh, man. I'm, no, I'm I have to. I gotta, you got to let me have it. I feel like I'm speaking right, for the audience. You can't put me the, and Jimmy on the same episode. We talk I too much. I, yeah, we speak, I, speaking for the audience here, I think they want to know this. What happens to the referees now? Do they get reprimanded for that, for not calling that? Because I'm sure Liverpool is calling, like, what's the deal? We just lost one of our best players for the rest of the season. I mean, what what's the kind of punishment that referees maybe suffer behind the scenes that maybe us commoners don't know uh, to help them get better at their craft? Yeah, and I think the commoners know the majority, right? So every game is assessed. There's a referee uh, inspector, an observer in these matches. Uh, every game critical decision, or KMI, what we call key match incident, uh, gets reviewed and determined whether we got it right or whether we got it wrong, right? If we get it wrong, we obviously get negative marks in our overall scale. Uh, every league has a different scale. Um, what qualifies is not, and, and just for kind of a, in a nutshell, KMI is anything that can change the outcome of the match, right? Here, red card scenarios, obviously, penalty kick, uh, situations, uh, nothing like a sense, nothing necessary, a simple foul in the middle of the field, but those that can affect the outcome of the game. So these games are criticized, um, critiqued, uh, broken down. They go back in video analysis. The referees enter that. Uh, and obviously it can go over to one's be able, uh, ability to continue to be employed, right? So PGMO is an employment factor, right? You want to make sure you pass, all right? If not, you can either, you know, lose games in that sense or, hey, say, hey, you're not necessarily maybe ready for these games. If you continue to miss KMI situations. You either need to go back and do some, you know, lower level division games and get back your consistency level. Because as a referee, similar to a player, you can have a good season, you can have a bad season. When you're having a bad season, you got to recognize that quick. And usually the inspectors can recognize that as well and say, hey, you're not necessarily a bad referee. You just had a bad moment. So how about we get back on the horse and figure these out? So there is in the sense of the assignments moving forward um, in the future, in the sense of saying, okay, maybe this referee needs to go back and get a little bit more fine tuning or tweaking for their match so they don't continue to make these um, decisions. And really the most important part is why did we as a team miss this? You know, if we don't determine why we missed this collectively, what we could have said better, um, kind of to that earlier question, what was the communication that could have been had between the team? We're not gonna get these right. And so once we can determine, and here the beauty is everyone has those audio, right? We have the audio between the BAR, ABR, all of that's taken apart, all those clip analysis are put together. And it's not just this referee crew, that will listen to this. It will be all of collectively PGMO, all the referees in that organization who will hear it, get feedback and say, here is how we can be better and not miss these, these decisions that ultimately has ended this player's, um, you know, rest of the season, as well as, you know, really good chances for Liverpool. I see my time. Go ahead, Luis. You can take a <laughs> Very well said, Christina, uncle, we were going to ask you one more, but you know what? I think we'll do better than that. We will bring you back for another episode so you can really break it down because I'm telling you that the other question we had, which is obviously about offside decisions, it's just going to keep on coming every single weekend. And we're just going to keep complaining about it. Christina Uncle, CBS HQ, CBS Sports Insider, UEFA Champions League and Europa analyst and complete expert on both, as well as she was an analyst for the 2019 World Cup. We're just so happy to have you. Can you come back? And I promise I won't have Jimmy next time to just keep talking. Of course, no, definitely have me love this. The reason I'm doing this is for this open dialogue. You know, it's 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 over time that we had this open dialogue between the referees and the rest of the football world. Christina, uncle, thank you so much. And I think Jimmy will come back. I hope he does. Thank you so much for being with us. <laughs> Hey, everybody. I want to thank Jimmy Conrad, Heath Pierce, Christina Uncle for joining us today. It was a fantastic episode. Make sure that you follow Kegolazo Pod on Twitter to stay updated with all the episodes that are coming up, as well as leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we will see you very, very soon because guess what? The Champions League is back. See you next time. 
Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.